Hello from Michael Leyland. Hello and welcome to the podcast. <laughs> I bet you couldn't keep that up for an entire show. I, I, I do not know about that, Mr. Leyland. <laughs> it, will, it will have our listeners ruffle-olling. <laughs> this is like lol's arms. Lolly lops. I don't think I could put up with you doing that for an entire episode. <laughs> that that is what my, my teacher says. This briefing is from file A five six seven W. Classified top secret subject is Ages Comics. Comic books, an art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. Digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude. We can make them better than they were before. Better, stronger, faster. Lovely people, and welcome back to Hey Kids Comics, your weekly lollapalooza into comic books old and new, with no rhyme or reason. A kind of podcasting lone ranger with my trusty co-host as my tonto. I am Andrew Leyland, Hardy Boy, to my 16-year-old son's Michael... Oh, sorry. Uh, Michael Leyland. Nancy Drew. Isn't that a girl? Yes. We both... I'm a horse and a girl. (laughs) Yes. We both would have liked to have Veronica Mars join us, but alas, we couldn't afford her pay rate. Okay, then. That seems fair enough. And she didn't read the four issues in time, did she? No, she didn't. She's just not reliable, is she? <laughs> no. Um, the reason for this private detective-type introduction is that one of my other favourite genres is detective noir. As much as I love spaceships, ray guns and warp speed, I also adored the seedy underworld that was inhabited by cynical gumshoes and dames to kill for. In fact, I would be quite happy if we woke up tomorrow to find that three-piece suits and fedoras had come back into fashion. And women were all called dames. (laughs) There ain't nothing like it. (laughs) Not that kind of dame. Um, I started on my well-worn path through the neon lights and piss-strewn alleyways of the big city in childhood, where so many of these things often start. I always liked Jim Rockford and the Rockford Files, in which James Garner would, on a weekly basis, be treated as the lowest rung of the ladder in detective circles. Rockford led to black-and-white film noir, where the shadows, shady dealings and not-to-be-trusted clientele of double indemnity, the Maltese Falcon and the Big Sleep contrasted with the brighter, but no less seedier climbs of Magnum P.I., Starsky and Hutch and Columba. As usual for me, this led to books and reading. And the glance at my bookshelf reveals novels by Elmore Leonard, James Elroy, Ian Fleming and Raymond Chandler sitting next to Frank Herbert, Harlan Ellison and Richard Matheson. It's a real shocker to me that no one's managed to marry the potent blend of science fiction and film noir successfully, with Blade Runner one of the few to try and succeed, although perhaps oddly, the Star Wars novels Coruscant Nights by Michael Reeves come very close. You won't bought me that for me, Buster. Okay. The Coruscant Night books. Uh, in films, I liked Heat, Bound, and the hugely underrated Van Kilmer, Robert Downey Jr. flick, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I've seen that. It's very good. Grandad didn't like it. Did he know why did Grandad not like it? Oh, too much swearing for him. 
was there? He complained all the way through until... My granddad was well, in the military and there was two of us swearing in kiss kiss well, bang When bang. I say he complained all the way through, I mean he complained for a full 15 minutes until he walked out oh, right. and then swore at the uh, football. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so there's two of us swearing in the film. But it was perfectly acceptable for him to swear at the football. Oh, yeah. All right, fair enough. I don't mind that. Uh, for this show, we're going to do something that we haven't done much previously, and that's abuse our position. I'm sure we do this a lot, actually. We've, we've never recommended a book that we both think is top-notch, but doesn't get much in the way of buzz. Have we? Um... We've, we've, we've kind of covered stuff that we've specifically wanted to cover. Yeah. We've never actually covered something that we think doesn't get enough love from people. Okay. A book that we're reading. And I've, I'm a big fan of recommendations from people I trust. And this has led to me discovering many things I may not have otherwise read. With that in mind, today's pick is a book both Michael and I enjoy a great deal. Yet it's not a superhero title. You do enjoy this, don't you? I do, yeah. Alright, I was just thinking of... Do you, do you know how I got into it? I'm forcing you oh, no. to read this. You didn't want me to. Did I not? Nope. You got them and it was like a two or three series in. And I was about... It was even my first day of year eight, I think it was. It wouldn't have been year seven. But my first day of year eight, I, I went, went in about midday. And you were already at work, so I thought, right, I'm, I'm, go- I'm not listening to him anymore. I'm old enough to read whatever I want now, and I'm marched into your... What do you mean, not listening to me anymore? That implies you did. No, you, you wouldn't let me read Walking Dead or Criminal. I wouldn't let you read Walking Dead till you were about 13. 12, actually. 12. Yeah. And I marched into your room, and I dug them all out, and I read them before school. I thought, actually, <laughs> you've got to prove yourself. <laughs> we are, of course... Because we haven't told them yet. Well, this is the longest tease ever, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Uh, we are, of course, talking about Criminal, which is published by Icon, an imprint of Marvel Comics, and is written by Ed Brubacker, with art by the mighty Sean Phillips. I've met him. We have, and he's a lovely fella. He is. It has to be said. Both creators cut their teeth on crime comics, together with Sleeper, which I've never read. No. Yeah, I never read Sleeper. Because the trade paperbacks are so bloody expensive. Yeah, isn't also the first of... If you consider the stuff they've done together, isn't that the first? I think that's, that's the first... Criminal yeah, criminal I think before. that's the first thing they did together in this vein. Yeah. I mean, they worked separately on other material. Phillips did a lot of Vertigo stuff, didn't he? He didn't did he do Hellblazer, a long run on Hellblazer. Yeah. And Brubecker did the, the seedier end of Gotham City with Gotham Central, which is an excellent book. Highly recommend it. You've never read that, have you? No. Well worth reading. Uh, they, that would make a good TV show, Gotham Central. Uh, they launched Criminal, a series of mini-series featuring rotating and recurring cast as necessary, in 2007, and have to date completed six separate mini-series along with Incognito, a superhero noir about a supervillain in witness protection, and Fatal, the new book from Image Comics, uh, issue number three, I have in my hand here, which I just bought today. The only bad thing about Fatal yeah. is that in the letters page for this, he says that this is going to run for 15 issues. Uh, it's expanded in the telling, apparently, which unfortunately must mean there's not going to be any criminal for at least a year. Mm. Which I was a bit upset about. Yeah. Because I quite like criminal. Uh, the cover... The cover? <laughs> no, I got there, yeah. The story we're covering is Criminal The Last of the Innocent, which is the most recent, and I think the best one they've done so far. 
A four-part miniseries, Last of the Innocent, is a potent blend of crime, noir and comics with excellent art and compelling characters. The first issue came out on June the 1st, 2011, with a typically excellent cover by Phillips. A woman dances seductively in the traditional arms-above-her-head manner, whilst a man looks on. Other patrons of the club dance around her, but the colour scheme is dark blues and blacks with the woman in a red dress. Phillips uses interesting brush strokes and to what looks like pastels. Pencils. To a pen- are they pencils? Yes, because I right. found the original copy on sale. Did you? Mm-hmm. How much was it? A lot. Was it? Mm. Oh, right. It had a comma in there. Did it? Mm. <laughs> oh, it's never positive, is it? Um... Uh, yeah, well, he's used the pencils, sorry, yeah. to emphasise certain objects like balloons and glasses. Not speech balloons, they're actual real balloons in the room. Not real, obviously, because it's... You know what I mean! I'm just getting confused by the fact that your monkey keeps throwing marshmallows at you. Yep. It's, it's, it's turning me off or confusing me or something like that, mainly because I don't like marshmallows. I wonder what it could be. Maybe the dogs, dogs looking. Something I ate. No, nope, it's just a flying marshmallow. Just a flying marshmallow, yes. Uh, as usual for Criminal, it's a full wraparound cover, which they do yep. all the time, don't they? Which I think is really good. Uh, Gorgeous doesn't do it justice. I think it's a great cover. Um, My favourite of the four. Is it? Is that your favourite of the four? Yes. See, I think I like the fourth one, <laughs> because that the fourth one just screams crime noir. Not just because it's got a naked woman on it. Oh. I know that's what excites <laughs> you. But the, the girl who's dancing is obviously meant to be the central character in the book, Felix. But doesn't she look like Cheryl in Fed? Yes. Do you think? You know yes. who Cheryl in Fed is? I do, yes. Yeah. Okay. Having recently started watching Twin Peaks. Alright, fair enough. Then. She does the same dance as well. Yes, she does, kind of, doesn't she? Yeah, okay, fair enough. Uh, Sean Phillips posted different stages this cover drawing over at his website and as usual when I see somebody talented draw something I'm both gobsmacked and insanely jealous because I can't do it Uh, it costs $3.50 which is quite a lot for a comic book it has to be said which is what about £2 Mm. well it sells for about £2.20 over here isn't it double size though it's it's not double sized, but, but the papers. Thicker. Yeah, the paper's very thick. It feels lovely, yeah. even though it doesn't have the, the image enhancements that you normally see at Stroke in. Yeah. The paper in this does feel genuinely, genuinely lovely. I don't know any other way to describe it. Uh, Three dollars fifty in the US. They say it's nice too. It does, yes, but I don't encourage eating your comics. All it says on this is different in Canada. <laughs> I don't know how different in Canada, but I'm willing to bet our Commonwealth chums get screwed over again. Mm. Ex- excuse me, Mr. Comic Book, sir. Can, can I have the latest edition of, of Criminal? Yep, that'll be a hundred Canadian dollars. <laughs> I don't think it'll be quite that much. <laughs> Wouldn't be surprised me if it was close to that. Don't know why we're British and Northern in Canada myself, to be honest. Hey. That's <laughs> <laughs> a boot. What, what, what are you talking about, sir? <laughs> Boot. Oh, dear me. So, two weeks ago, it was Scottish. <laughs> and last week, I attempted an Irish accent At badly. Least I attempted it this time, so it sounds roughly accurate. Uh, no, it, that did not sound anything like a Canadian accent. How Maybe about in your then? head. Hey, guys, how about this? <laughs> <laughs> I'm Canadian now. Hey. <laughs> God. I, I apologise, Canadian listeners. I really do. I just, I just don't know what to do with it. To be ah, hey, Terence, I just found it right now. A warning! It's Terence and Philip are sweet. Super sweet. <laughs> that that part. Uh, I think it's assumed by this point that we do discuss the books in depth. 
But there are some pretty nifty twists in this story that we will be ruining for you. Oh, yeah. It has to be said. So with that advisement out of the way, on with the show. It's time to put on makeup. It's time to light the lights. I just like putting on makeup. <laughs> oh, we know. No reason. Um, all the criminal books have minimal adverts to justify the cost, but also special backups that are not reprinted in the trade paperback, which I really appreciate. A writer and artist who acknowledges that I'm buying these things monthly and reward me for it. Thanks, Ed and Shaw. In a, a period of time where neither of the big two seem to be encouraging the buying of single issues, are they? Yeah. There's nothing extra in them. Inevitably, they're only a chunk of another story, normally six to eight issues. Uh, in this issue, we have the usual end piece from Brubacker, uh, where he, he recommends series that he's watching and stuff that he recommends on DVD and TV and books and stuff like that. This month, he recommends Spiral, a French crime noir that I haven't seen, and an article on the Encyclopedia Brown and the Great Brain books, which I don't recall reading as a kid either. It makes them sound jolly interesting. I, I, I don't read them. Do you not? Do you not read the backups? I don't. Uh, I, I read them if I've heard of them. Like, see, I'm the opposite. I'll read them if I've not heard of them, because yeah. hopefully it will introduce me to something new. Well, I started reading them back when I started reading it, thinking that it was a tie into the series, but it wasn't. No, no, it's just... Well, it is. In the back of this, it's all recommending detective books and films yeah. and... So it is linked thematically, even if I not, thought it was part of the, directly. the criminal world. Though. No, no, it's not part of the criminal mythology. Uh, the story begins in 1982, and Riley Richards is heading back to Brookview to see his father, stomach cancer. He wonders if it's a hereditary, even as he recalls that he owes a boatload of money to Hyde, whose men were waiting for him as he boarded the train, a reminder of just how deep he's in. He gets off the train, and as he waits for his ride, notes that nothing changes in Brookview mainly because nothing ever happens. Well, there was that stalker that one time who killed a few people when Abby and his mate Freakout found the body, but other than that. His ride arrives, but it isn't his old buddy Freakout picking him up, rather X-Flame, Lizzie Gordon, the girl he didn't marry. The girl he did, Felicity Felix Doolittle, is back in the city. Some society function. Lizzie asks about Teddy. Riley says he hasn't seen Teddy, although we know the last time he did see Teddy, he was with Felix. With... Felix, if you get what I'm saying. Not that Riley could say anything as he was in the process of stealing from his wife, and not that he really could. Lizzie drops Riley at home where his bedroom is still exactly the same. He heads to the hospital where his dad looks fine, all things considered. Riley takes off and meets up with the newly clean and sober Freakout and Lizzie to catch up and reminisce. Freakout's real name is Vladimir Frykowski, so you can see why he prefers Freakout. Back in the day, these two did heroic doses of drugs and partying, but that was then. This is now. And he missed his shot with Lizzie a long time ago, even though it was she he invited to the prom, not Felix. Even old buddy Brock is now the local sheriff. Riley gets home late. He's not the only one who's late. So is his dad. The cancer had spread more than the doctors knew, and he passed away. The funeral is, like all funerals, a mixture of sombre emotion and embarrassment. After the funeral, Riley and Felix attend dinner at the Doolittles. Felix and her parents are filthy rich, and Riley acknowledges that. Well, he didn't break up with Lizzie and date Felix just for the money. It's why he sticks around. Phil Doolittle confides to Riley that Gordy Gold, an old classmate of Riley's who owns a rival company, are trying to bring Doolittle Industries to their knees. Riley snaps, but Phil wants an er. 
After all, he did just pay for Riley's father's funeral. That night, Riley dreams of the past and how if he could go back and he could fix it all. And then he wakes up. He knows what he has to do. He has to kill his wife. I'm so glad I went to all that truffle to find noir soundtracks. <laughs> and now I don't need to bother because you're there being the accompaniment. Uh, page one. Uh, we begin with a... Um, we don't really begin with a splash page. Criminal just kind of starts and carries on. But the first page has two panels that cross the top of the page and then three panels at the bottom in kind of like the old grid style that they used to have. And I'm presuming that Union Station here is in New York. Okay. But it's more likely to be in Centre City where some of the other criminal story acts have taken place. Yeah. Um, that's what I wrote initially. As I read... Along with this, I discovered that this is in Centre City, because there are a couple of clues to that later on, aren't there? Yes. With some recurring characters from other stories. Yes, who I didn't remember. Did you not? Did you not remember Tracy Lawless? No, I I remembered him mainly because Lawless was the name of one of the stories. Yeah, Lawless was the name of one of the story arcs, wasn't it? But that Hyde, I didn't remember. Sebastian Hyde, yeah, Yeah. that's who Lawless works for. It was very, very all interlinked. Ten million stories in the Naked City. This is just one of them. Um, uh, already, to get back on topic, we're treated to the magnificent art of Sean Phillips. The first panel looks like it could be some kind of photo amalgam, but, you know, the colour palette sets it apart straight away. It doesn't look like he's just doctored a photograph. It does. He's obviously used photo reference, Yeah. but it does actually look like he drew it. There's no bright colours here. It's all just greys and browns, but it's not muddy. The colouring's never hard to, to work out. Um, the credits are pretty much Ed Brubacker and Sean Phillips but Val Staples gets a mention um, I thought initially she did the lettering but apparently Val Staples did the colouring ah. and the colour is changes I, I thought they stapled the uh, pages together <sighs> see I thought Phillips did all of this yeah. I thought he did the art, the colour, the letters everything, but well, apparently somebody else colours it Two pages in and we know everything we need to know about Riley Richards' vices, women and gambling. And we know he's in hock to some pretty bad dudes. Sebastian Hyde, as we've already mentioned, is in some of the previous criminal story arcs. But again, he's not really the central character in this like he is in some of the others. Uh, page four, because you've got nothing to say thus well, far. Well, I, I, I don't have much to say. When I have nothing to say, my lips are sealed. Yes. Page four, the first surrealistic touch to the series that elevates it above the previous criminal entries. Not that they were in any way bad. No. They were all really good. Uh, The flashbacks are all drawn to look like Archie comics with a much lighter colour scheme. It's an incredibly effective device that isn't there just to be cute. There's a really good narrative reason for it. Which will become apparent as the story unfolds. I I do like the Scooby-Doo sandwich. Yeah, the Scooby-Doo butter. Um, What I'm I'm very surprised they didn't go for older colouring on those pages. You know, the dots. Like yellow. Yeah. Mm. I mean, they've yellowed the pages. It's more noticeable later on, and the the word balloons aren't white, they're yellow. But I I thought the colouring, they would have made it look dotty, much much like the old comics. Page six, even single-panel flashbacks like the one on panel one and panel six are Archie-esque and the names Riley Richards Archie Andrews Brookview Riverdale I've never read Archie so maybe I've seen things that aren't there I I, I have read the three comic book day ones so is is this 
is this supposed to be Archie grown up? I, I suppose. Is it not an, an, an really analogue? I didn't really pay much attention to it. Betty and Veronica are on the cover. Oh, right, okay. So you're just looking at Betty and Veronica, were you? Well... Fair enough. <laughs> Page seven. Riley's wife hasn't come with him even though his father may not make it through the operation, which is a really subtle way of telling you everything you need to know about their marriage. Yeah. Just from that one that one dialogue exchange that he has with Lizzie. All right, then. Um, and then, of course, on the next page, we discover what his wife's really up to. Oh, yeah. Which, you know, kind of I do like away. his response to it. Yeah, this makes sense. Yeah, because uh, it's a flashback. Notice, notably, yeah. the flashback here isn't in Archie Art. Because this doesn't fit into his worldview. Yeah. His wife is part of the seedy mess that his life has become, not the the lovely halo glow of nostalgia that he has. Yeah. For his his past and what he wants his future to be. I thought that was quite clever. Because mm. very few of the flashbacks aren't in Archie esque artwork. So if they're not, there must be a reason for it. Fair enough. I thought so, anyway. Uh, page nine, he comes back home and he goes to his old bedroom, which hasn't changed. I hadn't been gone a week <laughs> when my grandparents had completely redecorated my bedroom. Fair enough. When he's talking to his dad, is yes. it just me or does every American child get called Slugger? I don't know, it seems to be a popular nickname, doesn't it? Yeah. Hmm. And uh, am I the only one who thinks that freak out doesn't look like a Russian until he's archified? He doesn't really look like a Russian when he's well, archified, to be honest well, with you. Well, I love archified. <laughs> I can't find it, but there's a picture. Yeah, though, he, 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 he looks a bit Russian, though. A bit. I don't know how you can look Russian, but, you know, whatever. Uh, page 14. One of the things I really like about crime detective noir fiction is it's all set up for you. Uh, you know the genre, you know roughly how certain things are going to play out. The scene with Lizzie, Freakout and Riley tells you everything you need to know about these characters, their histories, and even a little bit of how it's all going to go from here. And yet there's a part of you that likes them so much that when it all gets real, you hope they'll all manage to work it out. And it will get real mm. pretty quickly. Well, what I've noticed reading Criminals is that even though every series is about different people, before the first issue ends, you know everything about the protagonist and you like them, even if they are real scummy. Yeah, he does a really good job of making the protagonist likeable, even though, like you say, they are, and a lot of cases are scum of the earth. Yeah. Riley Richards isn't quite scum of the earth. No. Not yet. Well. But certainly compared to some of the other people we've had in the book, mm. he's actually moderately normal thus far moderately moderately page 15 and 16 Brubacher handles the funeral scenes here perfectly always a mixture of sadness embarrassment with little resentment thrown in Riley's mind is elsewhere and he immediately feels guilty about it with a little touch about how long am I supposed to stand here rings very true if we're being brutally honest about well funerals it, it, it's quite awful but I do like the idea of him almost laughing when he reads his dad's eulogy well that's, that just comes from the uncomfortableness of you not knowing how to act yeah nobody knows how to act at funerals am I supposed to be sad am I supposed to be happy what's going on mm. it's all very confusing I just sit out the back and read comics no one, yeah, will, no one will notice <laughs> page 17 is a little flashback to prom night Riley didn't take Lizzie even though it was Lizzie that he asked in an earlier flashback yeah Felix goes instead is it perhaps because Felix a little looser if you get what I'm saying oh, oh is that why he had to tie your laces y yes he's under a skirt 
when her dad pops into the bedroom and dad doesn't notice that he's there. I don't think he was tying her laces oh. from the way he says, uh, did I say you could stop? I don't, I don't. I mean, he may have been. I don't oh, know. Maybe, maybe she doesn't want one half-assed tied lace. That's possible, because I still tie your mum's laces for her. Because mm. uh, she can do it, <laughs> for people who are listening. But, you know, I just... It's, That's it's, where Adam gets it from. It's sweet. Uh, page 19, there's some really subtle characterisation here. Brubacher lays it all out in the few panels and through captions. Riley is a war, his life, his marriage, everything is a train wreck. His wife's infidelity affects him not one jot. His dad's death makes him feel nothing. And all he really cares about is getting money from the Doolittle safe so he can pay off Hyde. Which is why, in the flashback, he was there while his missus was being infidel. Mm. Being infidel. That's not a proper word, is it? Being um, indelicate with... What's his name? Teddy. Teddy, yes. <laughs> so, so he, obviously, he couldn't let them know that he'd seen them. Yeah. Because he was there stealing money. I, I don't like his in-laws, but all the way through these pages and other issues as well, it... Not only does it feel like Riley's getting looked down on, it feels like I'm, as as the reader's getting looked down on. Like, the Doolittles were patronising me and him for not being as rich as them and not being in business. No, he's, he's, Mr Doolittle is very patronising towards Riley. See, the only thing I didn't like about... I mean, I'm not going to say I didn't like it. I didn't quite understand why Felix and Riley were together. Money. Was, yeah, well, I understood why, why he, he was, was there. Yeah. But I don't understand what she saw in him. I don't want it more a case of I want it so I can have it. What does Mary Jane see in Peter Parker? Peter Parker's a lovely bloke. When he's not written as a sad sack maybe, like he's been at the minute. Maybe he was a lovely bloke. Yeah, maybe. He seems like it in the early stuff. Yes, what? but he, he seemed he was more interested in Lizzie, even from the beginning. Maybe that's why. Well, possibly. Maybe she liked to steal him from her. No, possibly. Well, the, um, the dream sequence on page 22, it looks like the opening to the uh, WB movies. You know where it flies over the movie? Like oh, that. yeah. Where he's flying over. In his dream sequence, he's flying over uh, the town and he's looking down and seeing himself and all his mates when they were young. And he is drawn in Phillips's usual style and everything else is archified, mm. as Michael put it. It's really well done because yeah. even the colouring is darker on him and lighter with the archie stuff when they discover the dead body. Yeah. When Freakout and him discover the lady in the park. Which is important. Uh, for later I, I do on. like how um, when Felix first pops up, she's holding a cat. Felix is holding a cat. I thought it was Fritz the cat. Well, there's Felix the food. Oh yeah, there's Felix the cat food, isn't there? And um, page twenty-four, there's your wham. Bam. Thank you, ma'am. There it is. Uh, I thought this was an excellent first issue, laying it all out, all the characters, the situations, and the setup for the next four issues, uh, three issues. Sorry. Um, as with all great noir, you've got a vague idea of where all this is going, but it doesn't hamper the enjoyment of the tale. If anything, it enhances it as you hope you're wrong and that the characters can pull back from the path they're on. But noir never works like that. Mm. Everyone has to end up miserable and unhappy. <laughs> well, sometimes because um, he's looking her right in the eyes where he's uh, I have to kill my wife and that's the cliffhanger ending isn't it yeah which is very very good uh, I loved it I thought issue one of that was fantastic issue two of Criminal Last of the Innocent came out on July 27th 2011 with another gorgeous wraparound cover by Sean Phillips showing Felix naked covered by a blanket with blood spatter everywhere Dexter Morgan would have a field there with that wouldn't he Oh, you've never watched Dexter, have you? I've read some of the books. Oh, right. uh, Riley returns home, his mind filled with dark deeds. 
the details, the specifics, alibis. He pays off Hyde's men with the money he stole from Felix's father, spies on Felix and Teddy, and waits, plots, and waits. Riley returns to Brookview to help his mother move house after the death of his father. Whilst there, he attends an AA meeting with Freakout, who's one year sober. He notes that Felix and Riley have always fought, and the time to worry is when they don't. Riley mentally notes that they haven't fought in years. He arranges to meet up with Brock after helping pack up the house, and whilst at dinner, Riley slips a bottle of eye drops into Brock's drink. He accompanies Brock back to the sheriff's office, and when Brock suddenly has to hit the loo, he nips into the evidence room and steals the information about the Brookview stalker. In the park, he sees Lizzie, and they reminisce. In the park, again, later that night, Riley and Freakout are smoking and having a beer when Riley lights up a joint. He passes it to the now clean and sober Freakout, who takes it. After all, what can one hurt? Three joints and numerous beers later, Freakout passes out, giving Riley the alibi he needs. He drives Freakout's car for three hours back to the city, arriving just in time for Teddy and Felix's clandestine rendezvous. Riley watches Teddy leave 20 minutes later and sneaks into the apartment where he stabs Felix through the eye with an ice pick. I do like that I give them an hour, but I'm being optimistic. <laughs> yeah, that was at the end, that, wasn't it? Yeah. 20 minutes later and Teddy's finished. So she's obviously deeply satisfied with him as a lover then, isn't she? <laughs> Uh, on page one, I like how the narration cuts into the thought bubble, though. Yes. Yeah, it's a good technique, that. All Noir has narration. Yeah. All, detec- all good detective stuff has narration. Uh, page three. It doesn't really need it, because Brubacker did such an excellent job in the last issue of establishing how Felix and Riley's marriage is going through the motions, but Felix has no interest whatsoever in helping her husband help his mum move. She also has no time for Riley, no comfort, no words of support. It makes us sympathise with Riley's position even more, even though we know what he's planning and we spent the opening page of this issue seeing him look at murder weapons and think about what the mechanics of what he's doing. Page five, there's something really incongruous about seeing the Archie style sex scene. (laughs) Seeing that in Archie art is a bit strange. Uh, This page is really interesting. Obviously it's all from Riley's point of view, so we don't know how much of this is tainted by memory, but in his version of events, Felix, having spent some time in France, is a bit of a sexual predator, especially after the more reticent Lizzie. What isn't explained thus far is exactly what Felix saw in Riley in the first place, which is what we mentioned in the first issue. She seems a lot more worldly wise than him, and very wealthy. So, is that your idea of something a case of she could have it? It's taking him away from Liz. It's stealing him away from Liz. Because I don't get from this scene that Riley loved Felix... I mean, though he continually denies all the way through this issue, even to himself, that social climbing is not why he married her. Yeah. But denial is not just a river in Egypt. <laughs> I'm glad you're there. Well, uh, I-, I think the archiness just makes this quite wrong and yet hilarious to see. Uh, yeah. Especially when you see Riley's grin on the last p- uh, Yeah, panel. well, yes. We're trying to keep it family friendly here, so we're not actually describing what's in the panels, but uh, I think you get the idea. Felix is a lot um, more willing to satisfy Riley's <laughs> teenage urges. I think, that's, that, I think we should just leave it there, shouldn't we? To be honest with you, uh, page seven's a proper noir conceit. The idea that the main protagonist, be it a femme fatale, a PI, or even a police detective, will mercilessly use their guileless friends to get what they want. 
I love that. All the best detective shows and films and stories, they just use their friends mercilessly. Even though it's quite scummy. Yes, they are. They're not nice people, a lot of them. Page eight, and yet we, we see that Felix really can't get enough of Riley, implying that maybe she loved him more than he loved her. They're the quintessential couple that argue and fight and break up and yet constantly get back together. Interestingly, the guy she takes out on the date in this scene to make Riley jealous is Teddy. Yeah. So they've had something going back a long time. Well, I find panel six hilarious, probably because, well, rereading the Archie scenes is a lot like <laughs> talking yes. to the friends I have at school. Yeah, Teddy takes her out on a date. I mean, I didn't mention this synopsis because it's not really important, but Teddy takes her out on a date and she spends the entire date talking about Riley. And after the film and wherever it is that they've been, he takes her to the malt shop. And she's, I don't know what I ever saw in him in the first place, really. And Teddy's like, huh, I better at least get a hand job, which is very hysterical. <laughs> it is quite odd to see F words with Archie artwork. Yeah. It is quite strange. If Garth Ennis wrote Archie. If Garth Ennis wrote Archie, yes. <laughs> well, the Punisher did visit Riverdale, didn't he? Oh, and the tie Yeah. yeah. Page 10 is revealed that Felix's father, Phil Doolittle, made Riley sign a prenup, even as he made him vice president of the company and got him out of the draft. This explains why Riley is sticking around. Without Felix's money to fuel his gambling habits, he's toast. But it doesn't explain why Felix hasn't tossed him to the curb yet. It gives Riley more impetus to go through with his plan, though. He's getting increasingly to the point where he's got nothing. So he's got nothing to lose. Mm. When you've got nothing, you've got nothing to lose. What's in him? The impetus. Yes. It's giving him the reason, the drive, to go forward with what he's doing. No, I mean, what, why do you make it sign him? Is it saying that he can't have money or something? Uh, he's made him sign a prenup. Oh, yeah, a prenup, I mean. What's a prenup? Uh, when one party of the two that are getting married is richer than the other party. Right. And by signing a prenup, you are saying that you will not have any of their money if they split up. Right. It's more, it's mostly an American thing and specifically big rich film stars who who marry you know people that they meet in bars for 36 hours because I think it's some I think I'm, it may only be Californian state law but I don't know but instantly when you split up it's 50-50 right. so if you're a nobody and you marry Sandra Bullock who's got like millions in the bank you would be entitled to 50% of Sandra Bullock's millions how many people take advantage of that ask Britney Spears <laughs> Page 11 confirms our suspicions about Riley for the entirety of this issue, that he likes being wealthy hmm. because it helps him keep his secrets. Wouldn't everyone like being wealthy given the choice? Whoever said money doesn't make you happy has never had a lot of money. <laughs> Page 12. Yeah, I made try that trick at one point. Which with one? The, with the eye drops. Oh, right, where he, he slips the eye drops into uh, yeah. Brock's, Sheriff Brock's drink, and he's just blaming what they had for dinner. I made sure of that. Well, you're going to get some eye drops. Oh, I don't know. But um, also clearing someone's record for no reason, isn't it? Illegal. Um, he's only a small town sheriff. It was probably only a small town infraction. Fair enough. I can't imagine it was anything more serious. One of those towns where everyone knew everyone. Yeah, well... You've, he's, he's been back in town five minutes he knows everybody yeah. one would imagine it was he, he probably got caught smoking dope or something Fair enough. that'll probably be it uh, page 15 we find out that Felix's mum tried to smother her husband Felix's father so insanity runs in the family 
Uh, page 23-21, Riley deliberately pushes his best friend off the wagon, and yet, and yet, we still sympathise with Riley. He's a real scumbag here, isn't he? Mm. Um, there's no excuse for this, and yet we root for him. We want him to pull this off. Why? Why are we so sympathetic to the character? The final few pages of this issue are really, really tense, so very well written and structured. Uh, we see Teddy as seen by passers-by, witnesses, even though they don't know it yet. We know Riley has a key to the flat where they are because in the last issue, that's where he caught them, even though he didn't let on. And even as we see all the pieces fall into place, we're looking for the one last thing that will trip him up. Where has he made his mistake that's going to get him caught? It's gripping. Mm. I thought this was fantastic. And what's really impressive with this is he does the last page mostly without any dialogue at all. It's all in Sean Phillips's art, this story. It's great. And then each time, as he pushes himself forward, it's the flashbacks. And interestingly, it's all Felix, apart from the last one. Yeah. Where Lizzie shows up. Well, she's in the first one as well. Yeah, but she's in the first one looking at him kiss Felix. Yeah. And freak out there as well with his silly backwards baseball cap on. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's pretty damn good, I think. It just keeps getting better and better, this one. Uh, in the final pages, Brubacker waxes lyrical about double indemnity, a classic, and Criss Cross, which I've never seen, but having read that, I now want to, but especially because Yvonne DiCarlo was in it. Huh. Lily Munster. Musical reenactment. You never watch the monsters? No. Kids today, yeah. What are we going to do with them? The end piece is a piece by Megan Abbott, writer of Die a Little, amongst others, and is about Leonard Nimoy's 70s series In Search of, which was quite an interesting article. Every week. They did in search of specific paranormal things like in search of Bigfoot and in search of ancient uh, astronauts and in search of UFOs. I'm Leonard Nimoy. Yeah. In this week's episode of In Search Of, we look for the Enterprise. Well, I was going to say, in this week's episode of In Search Of, Spock. See, in search of the search for. You see what I did there? It's good. Yeah, Klingons. Be gone! <laughs> uh, the last page has an advert for all of the five volumes of Criminal Out thus far heartily recommended although you won't get the cute little articles at the back wasn't one of the series um a, a series of one-offs yes the last of the no um the, the dead, dead and the dying. dying is a collection of one issue stories that they did right. as part of one of the mini series i may read them all again yeah uh two issues down we're just going to take a quick break and plug somebody else's show because that's what we're like we're nice like that <laughs> and uh, we'll be right back My name is Steve Lacey, and I'm a podcaster. The randomizer hit my long boxes, and now I'm lost in my comic book collection. Help me. Help me. Listen, please, is there anybody out there who can hear me? I'm being controlled by an overbearing and fickle randomizer. I'm doing everything I can to review this book in the next 20 minutes. This is the 20 Minute Long Box. The 20-Minute Long Box is the briefest and most random of comic book podcasts. Every two weeks, a completely random comic book from my collection is the subject of the show. Find me at the show's site, 20minutelongbox.libsyn.com. 
the show's blog at 20minutelongbox.wordpress.com or search for 20 Minute Longbox on iTunes. Prepare yourself for random. And, and we are back from, from that break. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is he going to crop up every now and again now? Uh, I think he may. Oh, dear God. Lol's odds. Lol's, yes. Issue three of Criminal The Last of the Innocent came out on August 10th, 2011. The cover is wraparound again with Riley lighting up a ciggy in a neon-strewn alleyway. It is needless to say, excellent. I think that's a fantastic cover. It's very reminiscent of his Hellblazer days. Yeah, it is, kind of. But, you know, he's wearing a trench coat and smoking. Yeah. Hell, you know, John Constantine didn't copyright that. Well, it's a trench coat, kind of. No. Riley makes it back to Brookview with hours to spare before Freakout wakes up. Freakout lives up to his name and Riley tries to convince him it'll all be okay. After a hangover breakfast, they head over to Riley's mum's place where he's told by Sheriff Brock about Felix. He goes through the motions of the bereaved husband, feigns surprise at the disclosure that Felix was having an affair, even has a breakdown when Phil Doolittle tells him the police may have a lead. Riley's not sure he's feigning anymore. A few days later, the police arrest Teddy. Against advice, Riley visits Teddy in prison, who realises that Riley knew of his affair and he did this. Teddy's hauled away by the guards screaming about killing Riley. Detective in charge is annoyed that Riley visited Teddy, but besides him saying Riley did it all to frame him, they believe he's the man. They have evidence of other murders in town. Teddy visited, and the MO even matches the Brookview stalker from 67. Ice pick to the eye. A little detail that was never revealed to the public. Phil explodes, blaming Riley, but Riley pays him no mind. As they leave the station, Phil apologises, and Riley says he needs a leave of absence from the company to get over everything. Phil eyes him suspiciously. After the cremation of Felix, Riley tells Lizzie and Freakout he's quit his job. Oddly, Phil wasn't too happy about this. They head out for a night on the town. Riley's mood coloured by the fact that Freakout is off the wagon. At the nightclub, Riley bumps into Sebastian Hyde, who mentions Riley's newly minted good fortune, but the night goes awry when Freakout disappears. Freakout tries to score some smack and is getting beaten up for his troubles. Riley wades in to help, smashing both assailants in the face with a brick. Lizzie is concerned after Riley's anger erupted, but the next morning on the way back to Brookview, she falls asleep on Riley's shoulder saying she'll help him through this. For the first time, Riley allows himself a smile. The plan worked. At Doolittle Industries, Phil Doolittle hires a PI to find out what Riley is hiding. So it only took her three issues, we finally get a PI. Yes. Very briefly as well. Uh, page one, I like that this issue starts with the Archie Comics artwork and thus far has typified the flashbacks. This is the first time it's been used to signify the present, representing Riley's belief that everything's going to be okay, that he's managed to turn back the clock and fix what was wrong with his life. Yes. So he thinks. Page three, Riley at least has the decency to feel bad for what he's done to his friend. Well, he does now, but by the end of the series, he's long forgotten freak out. We don't ruin the ending. Until we get there to rue the ending, which we will be doing. Uh, page four through six is a really interesting little character piece. Riley doesn't let his guard down even for a second, even when he's at home alone. He maintains the pretense. He even starts to wonder if by acting this scenario out for so long he's actually starting to believe it, even though he's not on the suspect list with Freakout giving him his alibi. He coldly and mechanically executes his plan. Like all the best stories, you put yourself in Riley's place and wonder, could you be that cold? Could you Probably do what he's doing? I'm too nice of a person. Oh yeah, 
Are you trying to convince them? <laughs> I, well, I can't kill anyone. Well, that's true. But wouldn't believing the life for, so, for such a long period of time not give you like a mental disorder or something? Because surely after you believe in it for so long, then you start actually believing it that you well, don't believe it he anymore. He says right? that in, in one of the narration boxes, doesn't he? You get yeah. to a point after a while where you've acted this out so much, you start to believe it yourself. Mm. You start to accept the lie as being truth. And that I think he's got to the point here in this scene where he's at home on his own and he's got nothing to hide. That he's at the point though where he's started accepting this as being the truth. So he's not acting there. Yeah. His mind has actually started to fill this in. Possibly to cover over the fact what he's done. Probably. Possibly. Uh, page 12, we find out why Riley went in the evidence room last issue. He wanted something about the murders that wasn't released to the press. It's very clever. Murder most foul. Mm. Very he intelligent. He knew about it. Yeah, well, it, later on we find out that he forgot about it. Yeah. And it, that was just dumb luck. Which kind of mm, twisted the story a bit for me, really. It was just dumb luck he killed her with an ice pick through the eye. Because he, because him and Freakout found the dead body yeah. that the stalker was based on. But we'll find out all about that later on. Page 13 is here where Riley makes his first mistake. Because Phil is suddenly very suspicious of his son-in-law. And there's a final panel on the bottom of that page where he's just looking at him askance. Mm. And I was wondering, because mm. I reread that page a couple of times. Like, was he made a mistake there? I couldn't see that he'd made one. Yeah. So what, what, has he made one? He says something that makes Phil suspicious, and I couldn't figure out what it was. Me neither. Maybe he's just getting, you know, his spider sense is tingling for some reason. Uh, page sixteen. I did love that Freakout went to the bar and ordered two whiskies. And Riley thought he'd ordered one for him, but they were both for free counts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that amused me no end. Uh, page 18, we get two characters previously mentioned but not seen showing up, giving the story a little more texture to it. Sebastian Hyde shows up for ooh, all of two panels. And then Gordy, Gordy Gold shows up, who was established in issue one as being the head of a company that's trying to take over Doolittle Industries. Yeah. So he's seeded, Brubach has seeded all the characters in this already, even though you've not met them. Which is a really clever way of doing it, because you're not just, this is a character, this is another character, this is another character. Accepted and move on. Yeah, he's just, he's just mentioned the name and then gone on. Mm. So, in the back of your head, you're already going, yeah, we've met him, but you haven't. They've mentioned his name. That's as far as it goes. Uh, page 19, panel 1, is very funny, referring to yelling freak out in the middle of the night. They're walking around all these dingy, dark alleyways yelling freak out. And uh, a big disadvantage of having a weird best friend with a weird nickname, having to yell freak out while scoring the worst parts of the city. That's why I always think you should call your pet a stupid name. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to walk around yelling it in the middle of the night, looking for your cat or your oh, dog that, or something. TJ Hooker. Yeah. Where she yelled, Hooker! Hooker! Across the street. <laughs> yes, they didn't think that through, did they? Uh, and there we have it. The moment before the storm. The very second that Riley allows himself a smile on the penultimate page to think that he's got away with it the plot thickens I have to say the pacing in this series is really good there's no downtime just good old fashioned solid storytelling if I have a complaint it's the narration, the noir staple I know implies that Riley lives through this mm. because it's all told in the past tense but other stories have the central character narrating from beyond the grave 
and I wouldn't put it past Brubecker to use this device. So it wouldn't be the first time they did it. Mm. Have people that are dead and don't work them in the beginning and say, I'm dead now. I'm your bread. I'm dead now. Uh, the text pieces Brubecker giving some inf- Brubecker <laughs> Brubecker giving some information about his upcoming projects and Jay Faber. I think that's how you pronounce it. Does a two-page article about the much underrated and long overdue for a reappraisal detective show Magnum PI. One of my favourites, Magnum is lumped in with other not-as-good shows of the 80s, but Magnum's a pretty character-driven show with continuing plots, one of the best examples of male friendship seen in a TV show, and one of the best theme tunes ever. <laughs> best TV theme tune ever. Well, was he still all that good when he died and came back? He didn't die and come back. He, he mentioned he, he, in the, the finale for that in the finale for season seven, the quasi sci-fi esque limbo. Yeah, Magnum is shot. Yeah, and he's in a coma. In a coma. He's in a coma, and through the rest of the episode, it's explained by his friend Mac, who died very in, a, in an earlier episode. It's explained that you can't move on because you've got unfinished business. Oh, right. And he sorts his unfinished business out. At the very end of the episode, we see him walking away, presumably to heaven. And the last line we hear in the show is Magnum. And Higgins t- says, come back here, Magnum. And Magnum carries on walking. And then the series was picked up for another year. Right. So the, the, eighth, the eighth season premiere picks up exactly where it left off. And he stops walking. And he turns back round. And he wakes up from his coma. All right. Because there's other unfinished business. So I, I totally bought into that. He also mentions in the article uh, a couple of my other favourite episodes, Home from the Sea, which is the fantastic one, where he's stuck in the middle of nowhere and has to tread water okay. for 12 hours. You don't remember that one? I remember the one where they get stuck on the um, island over Christmas. Oh, the Christmas, that's a brilliant one, the Christmas episode. Uh, Paper War, Death and Taxes, other really good episodes. Uh, we're not a Magnum P.I. podcast. Or if you'd have it your way. Oh, I certainly would. I'd do a Magnum P.I. podcast. Uh, I even considered being a P.I. when I was a kid. <laughs> largely because of Magnum. When I was about 16. Well, what other job did you want to do when you were older? Well, yeah, I wanted to be Indiana Jones, that, that kind of didn't pan out. And I, I figured out pretty quickly that I wasn't rocketed from a distant planet, <laughs> and I wasn't going to be bitten by a radioactive spider, and I wasn't a billionaire dressed like a bat. But you could be a private detective. Being a private detective is a viable career option. It's a real thing. And then I discovered that most of them are ex-military or ex-cops, and 17-year-old detectives are quite rare. And then Veronica Mars comes along. Yeah. I don't, think yeah, I, would have, I don't think I would have been as, as good as Veronica Mars. Um, yes. Anyway, moving swiftly on from our magnum love, and not just the ice cream, Criminal Last of the Innocent number 4 came out on September 14th, 2011, and boasts the pulpiest cover of the entire series. A woman is getting undressed in the background as a man in the foreground walks past with a gun. This would not be out of place on a book published by Hard Case Crime. It's a fantastic noir cover. Uh, as with all of Philip's covers for the series, it oozes character and atmosphere. Picking up two months later, Riley has initiated a relationship with Lizzie and wound up with 25% of the Doolittle fortune, Felix's shares, and some property, despite Phil Doolittle trying to eke out a settlement for as long as possible. Riley plans on moving back to Brookview whilst Teddy rots in jail, still protesting his innocence. But sometimes Riley needs to take back the city, the man still needs his vices. Freakout, however, is spiralling downward fast. Riley bails him out again, but Brock says this is his last chance. Next time, he has to throw him in the slammer. 
Whilst Riley helps him to bed, Freakout says that maybe Riley isn't as smart as he thinks he is. Freakout sleeps and dreams of when he was young and he would sneak a peek through windows. Oh, the things he's seen. The next night, Riley bails out of a card game early. The cards aren't with him. On his way out, Riley bumps into Teague Lawless, a strong arm guy for Hyde. Riley initially thinks Hyde wants more money off him, but Lawless says he's just here with some information. A PI has been sniffing around looking for dirt on Riley. At first Riley thinks it's Teddy, but Lawless says it isn't, as he's been questioned as well. Whoever it is, he's thrown around some serious greenbacks. Riley breaks into Doolittle Industries at 2am the next day. I say it breaks. Is it breaking and entering if you have a key and know the alarm codes? He confirms his suspicion that it's Phil and calls Lawless for another favour. The next day, Teddy's all over the newspapers. How he left a full confession before hanging himself in his cell. The PI confronts Riley in the diner and tells him what really happened to Teddy. It isn't pleasant. The PI, named Britt Black, also tells him how he thinks Felix was killed. He found out how Riley's gambling debts. He thinks Hyde's men killed Felix to lean on Riley to get him to pay his money. Riley tells him to get out. Black says he doesn't quit. He'll find out what Riley's hiding. Eventually. What Riley's hiding is his meeting with Gordy Gold, who he sold all his stocks to, giving him a controlling stake in Doolittle Industries. Phil Doolittle is, obviously, not impressed. Riley says he brought it on himself by hiring a PI. At the Santa Teresa Beach House, Riley realises what was missing from his life. Lizzie. And after what looks like a rather busy night with Lizzie, if you get my drift, he takes off to take care of one last detail. At Freakout's place, Freakout asks if he got away with it. Riley asks how he knew. Riley, it turns out, didn't refill the petrol in the car. Freakout had topped it up the night before. Freakout says not to worry, there's other things he shouldn't have known. Like that the real ice pit killer was Principal Beeswax, who killed a bunch of prostitutes to hide the fact he was having an affair with Mrs. McDurty to divert attention away from the fact that they only really wanted to kill her husband who beat her up. Freakout says not to worry. He kept Murchie's secret all these years. He'll keep Riley's. After all, he's his best friend. Riley leaves, placing a syringe on the desk where he knows Freakout will find it. After all, you can never trust a junkie. Brock calls the next day to tell Riley that Freakout died of an overdose. Riley doesn't tell Lizzie. Not today. Today's his opportunity to start again. The only person who really knows him is dead. He can be whoever he wants to be. Ooh. And he gets away with it. Well, for now, for now. whether or not we're going to get a sequel to this, we don't know. Uh, page one, I've been maybe reading more into this than on the page, but Phil's face in panels four and six speak volumes. He's a grumpy mother, isn't he? Mm. Look at his face on those bits. Uh, pages eight through nine. Teague Lawless and his brother Tracy are the central characters of the first couple of criminal story arcs. It's here that we hit the part of the story where everything starts to go to hell and Brubacker ratchets up the tension nicely. Riley's getting deeper and deeper in following the old standby of trying to cover all his tracks. Just how far will he go? And why do we still like him as a character? Because he's the protagonist. Yes, I suppose you don't have to like the central protagonist, do you? Well... Page 13, and Riley breathes a sigh of relief as P.I. Britt Black's theory is completely wrong. And despite myself, I let out a huge sigh of relief as well. I read this for doing the show, and I'd read it before when we bought it, but because my memory is not what it once was, I'd completely forgotten the ending to this. So it was like reading it for the first time. And I read that page, and I was like, (laughs) 
<laughs> You're so close and yet so far away. It's really good. Call yourself a PI, idiot. Yeah, but he was, he was nearly there, wasn't he? Mm. He's so close to it. Um, and dis- uh, on, on the next page, when Riley sells his stock to Gordy, I laughed out loud. Whilst Felix didn't deserve what happened to her, Phil Doolittle has been nothing but a scumbag to Riley all his life, and Riley giving his biggest rival controlling stock in his company is a shrewd move. What's particularly cool about this scene is prior to Phil hiring the PI, Riley had no intention of selling the stock. It's a wonderful example of layering the story. Gordy was referred to in issue one, and we met him briefly in issue three. So in the space of, what, three panels, really, Brubeck has set up that entire relationship. Yeah. Real economy of storytelling. Page 16, we get a really wonderful little flashback with Archie, Arch Natch, in which Riley and Felix are at the beach house in Santa Teresa, setting up the I got some property line that you said earlier on, or following that up, sorry. Um, Felix looks hotter than a supernova. There's beer and food in the freezer, and the beach is private. So what's wrong? It's the girl, Riley. Can't compromise on the girl. I thought it, I thought it was the servant. that's because you're not old enough yet Uh, page 22 more leering more leering goes on in previous pages where we just have panel after panel of uh, Riley and Lizzie doing whatever they do in the shower on the beach in the bed you get the picture uh, page 22 more layering as Family we see that friendly. yeah well I'm trying to keep it that way uh, page 22 more layering as we see that Freakout knew the body they found would be there it's not made entirely clear if Freakout was covering for beeswax and Murtry as he's already established he liked her mm. um, as an old woman he thought she was nice enough and her husband was beating her up so he's got no sympathy for the husband uh, page 23 Riley doesn't actually pull the trigger on Freakout but he's definitely culpable in his death Yeah. of all the things Riley does this is arguably the most egregious killing Felix was his way out and from the character's point of view it made perfect sense not supporting his actions I'm just saying from the point of view of reading this story you can understand why he did it but pushing his best friend back into drug abuse and ultimately causing his death leads us back to the question of how far will he go how far would you go um not that far would you not no I'd probably go, oh, I'm, See, not, I'm not too happy I'm with probably my life, gonna but I've, I've got a lot of money and I, I'm not really a killer anyway. And See, I'm, I'm probably going to reveal too much about my inner psyche here, but I do. I am one of those people who stands in banks, on the rare occasions that I have to go to banks now. <laughs> Looking and at I, how many security cameras are. I do look where the security are guards are and where the cameras are, <laughs> and I have thought on many an occasion, would I rob this place if I knew I could get away with it? Well. And it's got more and more difficult over the years, obviously, when, you know, tellers are all behind six-inch plexiglass nowadays, but whatever. Um, but yeah, I do, I do think of stuff like that. I, do. Enough, I really do. <laughs> Page 25, I love that in the last panel, Riley and Lizzie are Archie figures, while the rest of the background is still dirty and grimy in real life. And throughout the entire last page, the artwork slowly changes, doesn't it? Yeah. From the normal to them being fully archified. It's really good. He's really like it. his clothes. Well, he's in what way? Well, he, he used to wear suits and now he wears oh, yeah. jumpers. Sorry, yeah, he's, he's relaxing now, but he's rich now. You know, jumpers are a sign of rich. Yes, jumpers are a sign See, of rich. See, I, I thought suits were, to be honest. He's got, uh, he's got a little Pringle sign on it. <laughs> uh, I adored this. 
I really did. I've liked all the other criminal story arcs, but this, for me, was a creative team firing on all cylinders. Brubacker doesn't spell everything out. It gives you just enough to chew on and offering up some interesting subtext about the death of a loved one, the death of a relationship, that period of life where you're not old, you're just not young anymore. And you wonder how your life could have been different if you'd zigged rather than zagged. Around all of that, it's a wonderfully morally ambiguous story that lives in darkness but strives for the light. Phillips's art is fantastic, his dark, murky but never unintelligible work complementing the script wonderfully. If you have any interest in crime fiction or even just good comics, pick up Criminal or Incognito by the same team. And as I mentioned earlier, Fatal has just started from Image Comics, which essentially is this. Only with monsters. Only with monsters in it. It's got Cthulhu in it, I think. I've I've not read any of it. Uh, The back of the book, again, has a few recommendations from Brubacker and Dwayne Zwiseyski. An interesting article about SWAT, which I've never seen, but it sounds good. I do like the name of his dad's band, because that one I actually did read, with his dad's band called Flick. Flick. So that if you spell, if you put all the letters close together, yeah, yeah, it's why they, they had to be very careful in old comics about calling people Clint. Well, Mark but, Miller would, yeah, put on the face. Yes, well, Mark Miller deliberately goes out to shock value, doesn't he? What did you think of it, Michael? I liked it. Is that all you're going to say? Because well, you've been suspiciously quiet this week, given for the past two weeks. I've not been able to shut you up. Catching my breath. All right, for well, well, with criminal. I can't remember any, most of the early ones, but my two favourite ones are that one and the Bad Night one. Which was the Bad Night one? Um, the one with the guy who killed his wife and then that girl shows up and... Oh, right, yeah. See, I don't have the trade paperback, so I don't know what's printed in those ones. I've got all the individual issues of this. Mm. Uh, right, okay, fair enough. I did, my, my thing with Sean Phillips' art is, though, with at times it's good, but other times... I don't like it. Do you know? Because sometimes pictures look too stiff or the faces are a bit messed up because of shadow. Uh, No, I think think it's great. I think think Phillips' artwork is really good. I do like his Marvel Zombies artwork though because everything's everywhere and you're all right with it because they're all falling to bits anyway. Marvel Zombies. Mm. Fair enough. Very good indeed. Uh, Right, okay, well, alright. I carried this one then. Fair enough. Um, next time, we've got another two-parter for you. Have we? Yes, it's the return of Barry Allen. All right. But not Flash Rebirth. No, 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 no. We're doing the return of Barry Allen from the Mark Wade run in the early 90s. So I'm looking forward to you reading that. Why? I just am. Oh, okay. I'm just looking forward to you reading and seeing what you think of it. Alright, so we'll see you next week for that. Bye! Bye. Comics is a The Devil Will Make Work for Idle Hands to Do production, and all opinions expressed by Michael and Andrew in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and probably not to be taken too seriously. All music and sound clips used in the show are copyright the respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. Michael and Andrew make no money for this, much to their chagrin. New episodes drop every Thursday at apleyland.podomatic.com.
www.thepeopleshow.com. But you can also listen through our Facebook page, which you can friend us on by using Hey Kids as the first name and Comics as the second name. You can also listen on our website, where you can also view the covers of the comics we've covered this week. That's www.heykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com. If you have an opinion on our opinions, you can email us on heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. We also have a forum, www.forumforgeeks.com, where you can drop by and say hello if you're allergic to email. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics.